Yeah, Harold said she doesn't get nervous. I wouldn't have been nervous if I was asked to sing either, but you would have been. Yeah. <laughs> Candy, will you get him and to sit down and show him where to sit and everything? <laughs> Appreciate Harold. And he had quite a challenge today. All his instrumentals sick and out and uh, did a good job and appreciate the choir. Uh, we're down a little bit, but they did great, didn't they? Amen. Amen. And Janet did great and God just blessed. God is good all the time. I heard about a little boy came running in the house to his mother and said, Mom, there's a bear in the backyard. She said, no, son, there aren't bear in this part of the country. There's not a bear in the backyard. And the little boy argued with his mother. His mother said, it's the neighbor's black lab. There wasn't a bear in the backyard. You go to your room till supper and you talk to the Lord about lying and you let me know. We'll talk about it later. So supper time came and the boy came to the table and his mother said, did you talk to the Lord about that? He said, I did. What did the Lord say? The Lord said it looked like a bear to him too. <laughs> Matthew 14 is where we're going to look. We're going to study Matthew, but we're going to read a parallel passage from John chapter 6. John chapter 6, but we're going to study Matthew 14. I will explain momentarily, but we do read parallel passages sometimes to get a slightly different perspective. Now, all God's Word fits together. There's no contradiction. But it's amazing to me how God uses different people to write about an account in a unique and special way. And we call these synoptic, and that's a big word. Don't, don't worry about it. It just means see together. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all see things together, and they write from a different perspective, where John is a unique gospel. Almost all of it's unique. In fact, 93% of John is not repeated anywhere else. So we're looking at John's account, chapter 6, verse 16. When you find that stand, we'll read together these verses, 16 through 21. John 6, 16 through 21. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And so we pick up just after the feeding of the 5,000, which all the Gospels put this in the same place in that order. And when even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and entered a ship, into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Let's pray, God bless us. Lord, I don't know what you have in store, but I know you know the hearts that are here. You know what I've studied and prepared, but I just pray, God, that the Holy Spirit will have control of the preaching time in this service. We thank you, God, for showing up, for always being here, dwelling in our hearts, in your omnipresence, and for the fact that you have blessed us today in song. And now we ask for you to bless us in the preaching. I need thee every hour. I need you every moment. Hide me behind the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I feel sorry for weathermen because they give you a weather report and quite often it's bad or wrong. About a month ago, I was going to cut my yard and the weather report was 0% chance of rain. I have a weather app on my phone, it said zero. 
And when I arrived home, began to get ready to cut the grass, it started raining. And I've had to put a bigger gutter on the front of my house, a six inch gutter, because a five inch couldn't handle the rain from the front of my house. And it was pouring over the edge of the gutter. And I thought, what is wrong with that weatherman? Well, they have a tough job. And even with radar, sometimes storms come and they don't expect those. Other times they can see a storm and they can't miss. In Okinawa, being, having gone through 40 hurricanes, when they told us a hurricane was coming, buddy, it was coming. And they're so wide and so big that you're going to get hit by rain and wind, whether it's a Category 5 or a Category 3. In that part of the world, we call them typhoons. But we know they're coming. And that's the way it is in life. We have storms in our life. Sometimes we don't see them coming, right? All of a sudden, bam, we're hit with something. We're not prepared or we, we think we're not, we're not prepared, but God is always prepared. Did you ever know that? Did you ever think nothing has ever occurred to God? He's always known everything that's going on in your life. So you'll have a storm that'll come quickly and other times you see a storm coming. And I don't mean like my little grandson who I love to death, but when he gets out of the car to visit Papa, a storm is coming. Um, he reminds me of my son, and they tell me my son reminded, reminds people of me. My, my family tells me that. But I love the little guy. I'm crazy about him. So that's not the kind of storm I'm talking about, but you know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, you're hit with bad news. Maybe it's a child or a grandchild or a, a family matter. I, I don't know what the news is, but you're hit with that bad news. Here the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee. They go out fishing and they expect a nice calm night. Now Matthew, of course, was an eyewitness to this event as he was to all the events, he and John, because they traveled with Jesus, when Mark and Luke were not eyewitnesses. And so Matthew's there. He's a publican. Remember his testimony? He was a tax collector, which was one of the most hated groups of people in society. The Jews hated him because they took taxes for the Romans and often cheated their people to become wealthy. But what a great testimony. He got saved. What does he do? He says, let's have a banquet. He invites all the tax collectors over and invites Jesus to come and preach to him. What a testimony. And of course, he writes this great gospel in the, about 60 years after Christ left the earth. And scholars tell us he wrote first in Hebrew, and we have fragments and pieces of that, and then later he rewrote it in Greek. So two audiences could read this. But he writes this great gospel. Shortly after he dies, he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia, one of the many who died for Christ. Matthew is a great, great gospel. As we said earlier, it's listed first because they consider it the most complete gospel. Mark is the most chronological. If you want to read a gospel from beginning to end in order, you'll read Mark. If you want to read the complete story from birth to life to death, excuse me, you'll read Matthew. John, we call it the most unique. But anyway, this is the 20th of Christ's miracles. And it's the second time the disciples are caught in a storm and trying to row the boat. And the 14th miracle, there's another calming of the sea. And I love it because he's the master of the sea. Billows as will obey. And did you know he's the master of your life as well? And when the waves and the winds come and the storm comes and you don't expect the storm, guess what? He's in the storm. He's in control of the storm. I like what a writer said. Habakkuk said he walks through the sea on a heap of great waters. Job said he treads on the waves of the sea. He's the master of the sea. 
And here he is, the disciples are here, and we see the Lord Jesus Christ will, of course, calm the sea. And Matthew really presents this with a focus on Jesus' interaction with the disciples, emphasizing his interaction with Peter. And we know that each gospel writer emphasizes something different. But rabbis talk a lot about the Sea of Galilee, its beauty, and it is beautiful. And I was able to go there and get on a boat, and I was asked to speak on the boat, and a storm came up, and it was awesome because I chose the text uh, from, from another ch chapter, another portion of Scripture from Mark, and preached on this while I was on the Sea of Galilee, and it got rough, and people were sick, and I was, and I had my little patch. I cheated. I have a little inner ear vertigo patch I put on, and I made it through the storm. But it just, it's, it's just such a beautiful spot. Rabbis say that God created this for himself. Now, rabbis say a lot of things we don't accept and believe, but Sea of Galilee is beautiful. And you can still eat the fish. It's still clean water. But here is the Lord Jesus. And we pick up in verse 22 of Matthew's account, remember. Matthew 14 and 22. Immediately or straightway, in verse 22, it means immediately, Jesus constrained his disciples. Constrained his disciples to go to the other side. That Greek word is translated compelled in another part in your New Testament. He's, he, he's compelled them, he constrained them, he urged them, let's go to the other side. And of course, the title of my message is that we'll make it to the other side. I like John 5, 24. We will pass from death unto life. Now keep that in mind because when you are going through storms in your life, a broken heart or a broken body or a broken financial situation, you'll make it to the other side. And how many times have I said to you to keep your eyes on an eternal perspective? Don't look at your circumstances. Keep your eyes on heaven. This life is just brief. 70, 80 years, Jesus said three score and 10. The psalmist said 70 or 80, and that's the life expectancy today. And we're out of here. We are just simply pilgrims. We're here visiting short term. And we should look forward to heaven. And so here, the Bible says, he constrained them, let's go to the other side. And that would mean Bethsaida and Capernaum. And in verse 23, the Bible says he sent the crowds away. He had fed 5,000 people. He sent them away. And in verse 23 it says he sent the multitudes away and he, he went apart to pray. He went apart to pray. Someone said if you don't go apart to pray, you'll fall apart. Either pray apart or fall apart. And that's one thing Christians do not get. They do not get the importance of a prayer life. Jesus said, when they said Jesus teaches to pray, what did he say? Pray our Father which art in heaven. First of all, you got to bring glory to the Lord's name when you pray. Amen. Now, Jesus didn't do what we do first because we confess our sin first. Because God won't hear your prayer if you've got unconfessed sin. You know that catheter you stick in, that, that, that great catheter that, that, that the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, and it gets the yuck out. And we know that he teaches us in Scripture to confess our sins or he'll not hear our prayer. Jesus didn't need to confess anything, so he starts, because he never sinned. So he starts right out hallowing the name of God, and then he goes and says, give us our, this day our daily breads, he asks. And we understand in our life the importance of prayer. If you don't have a prayer life, you need to get one. You need to get one. Confess first the sins you've committed and then praise his name and then talk to him and ask him to meet your needs. 
I don't know where I'd be without prayers during the most difficult times in my life. It's been that prayer and talking to God about it. And so he, he gets a part to pray. And the Bible says in verse 24, and I'm going to paraphrase it, are about three and a half miles out to sea, according to other accounts and the size of the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible says here in verse 24, the sea was tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And the word tossed is translated elsewhere in your Bible, tormented. I mean, this was no small storm. In fact, John uses the word that you know, the Greek word you know, the word mega. Those that play the lotto, which I don't, they understand that word mega. You know what they want? The mega millions. They want to have the mega bucks. And that's the Greek word that John uses in his account. A massive storm. Another place in Matthew, Matthew uses the Greek word seismos. We get our word seismograph. So this was not a small storm. This was huge. And if you're ever there in that part of the world, the Mount, Mount Hermon Mountains, 9,200 feet above sea level, send winds down to the Sea of Galilee, and it can just whip up and, into a huge, massive storm just like that. And so here they are. It's the middle of the night in verse 25. And uh, we know it's the same exact time, by the way, of the parting of the Red Sea. You ever think about all the water miracles in the Bible? Awesome, awesome water miracles. You know, the rain being withheld, and then the floods of, of, of Noah, and then we had the water into blood, and the water into wine, all the great miracles, the parting of the Jordan, the parting of the Red Sea, the calming of the sea, the walking of the wall, just on and on and on. Great, great water miracles. Great Bible study for you. But here we have, at the same time as the dividing of the Red Sea, we have this taking place. And in verse 26, the Bible says, when the disciples saw him, Walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. And that word fear is the word phobia. They were really and really afraid. You know the word phobia. That's the Greek word. I mean, people that have phobias are really afraid. Whether it's claustrophobia or arachophobia or whatever, that's a pretty serious fear. They're, they're shaking in their boats. They're in this boat. And here comes this person walking on the water. And I mean, they're really afraid. And, of course, they're troubled. I love John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's are many mansions. Jesus was going away. And they were troubled. He would send the Spirit, but they're troubled. What are we going to do without the Lord here present with us? And he gave them that assurance. It's not about this life. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Let not your heart be troubled. And that's the same thing we, say, we can say to one another today during those difficult times. God's in control. We don't need to have intense fear. We have concern. We pray. We trust. Have faith in God. A great title of how many sermons in this world about faith in God. We trust him. We have faith in him. And so here the disciples are afraid. The Bible says they were troubled. Um, and Jesus, of course, in John 11, the same word is used of Jesus being troubled when Lazarus died. Isn't that interesting? He knew he'd raised Lazarus, but he's still troubled at death. And he wept. Why would he weep knowing he's going to raise Lazarus? Because he felt the pain of Mary and Martha. And he had to obey his own teaching, weep with those that weep. But isn't that something that he wept there? 
And he was troubled in spirit because of the death and because of the response to death. And he's sometimes troubled for us, but he never, ever worries because he's God. Nothing's ever occurred to him. Nothing's caught him by surprise. He's the master of the sea. Billows as will obey. And so here he is. The disciples are upset. And they were even afraid in John, in Mark 4's account of, of a storm. And Jesus was actually in the boat there. And they were afraid he's there sleeping. And so they were afraid. And there's, there's a lack of fear here. I mean, they just didn't have a lack of faith. They just didn't have any faith. They're, they're worried about the storm, concentrating on the storm. And he comes and says, it's okay. It's okay. You know, we have to learn. We have to learn that he's the master of the sea. And we have to learn that, that we need to keep our eyes and minds on him. Uh, David said in Psalms 144, deliver me from great waters. In Mark, they were rowing with great difficulty. Uh, but he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's aware of every storm in our lives. And here he says, it is I, in verse 27. Literally, I am. All the great I am's of the Bible. The great I am's. And here he says, it is I, be not afraid. In verse 28, Peter says, Well, Lord, if it's you, let me walk on the water. And so the Lord allows him to do this. And some have said, well, I know he's just showing off. Others have said different things. No, he wouldn't have taken one step unless he took it by faith. And so he starts out towards Jesus. If it's you, let me walk on the water. He begins to walk on the water. And that's, of course, a lot of faith. But then what happens? Well, verse 29, we have a lot of faith here in chapter 14, 29. But look at verse 30. <laughs> and here's where we all fall short in verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. That same Greek word phobia. And be, beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. What happened? Why did he begin to sink? He took his eyes off the Lord. And looked at his circumstances. You know why some of you are sinking emotionally today? You're full of anxiety today and fear. Because you've taken your eyes off the Lord and began to look at your circumstances. Whenever you do that, you sink. I don't know how many people I've known that have had troubles in their lives. Whether it be financial, physical, spiritual, whatever, emotional. And the first thing they do was, was go to the bank to borrow money for it. Or they phone a friend. Or they try to manipulate circumstances. And the first thing we should do is talk to God. Because He's aware of it and He's the answer man. All the answers are in the Word of God and that peace of the Holy Spirit that supplieth an understanding in my life that everything's going to be okay. When we involve God in our problems, He gives a peace that the world can't understand. It surpasseth all understanding. And we need to pray and keep our eyes on Jesus. I love Hebrews chapter 12. And you know the verse. He says, run with patience the race. And goes on to say, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's there at the finish line saying, come on. Come on. You're getting closer to home. You're getting closer to home. Just keep running. 
Keep your eyes on me. Everything's going to be okay. And the whole world around you. I mean, think of what's going on in our country right now. I loved, I listened to David Jeremiah this morning, who I love, and he talked about all the things that are going on and how we've gotten away from what the scripture teaches about working and buying land and saving and raising a family. And our country's thrown all that out and live off the government and, and don't work at all. And, and you know, don't, it's, you know, it's wrong to, to do well, be successful. You should be taxed extremely high. All this stuff that goes against what the Bible teaches. And he talked about the condition of our world. But of course, he, he ended up going back to the solution to the problem that I always have to go back to, and that's Jesus. It's Jesus. We need to fulfill the Great Commission. The best way to help someone's uh, viewpoint, you know, whether it be on abortion or whatever, is to tell them about Jesus. And I say that to you so often because our country is deteriorating. We're all a little bit fearful of it, and we don't know quite what to do. We're supposed to pray, we're supposed to witness, and we're supposed to live right. That's never changed. That's never changed. God's still on the throne. And so here, Peter had a lot of faith, and then all of a sudden, he lost his faith. He didn't have any, and he began to sink. And the word immediate in verse 31, immediately, I love that verse. Verse 31, immediately, Jesus stretched toward his hand and caught him and said in him, Oh, thou of little faith. And I'm paraphrasing. He said, Why did you doubt? Why would you ever doubt? I'm the Lord. He's seen Jesus feed 5,000 people. And he's walking to Jesus and all of a sudden he begins to sink because he looked at his circumstances. Don't dwell on your circumstances. Don't dwell on your circumstances. Keep your heart and mind tuned to God. Ask God what purpose and plan he has in this for you because God doesn't make any mistakes. And immediately, a word that is used four times in, these, in the parallel passages, immediately they're at the shore. Immediately when Peter grabbed a hold of the Lord's hand, he, he stopped sinking. Immediately. All miracles, by the way, that God could lift him up and walk back to the boat with Peter hand in hand. I was a lifeguard when I was a young guy. And when you go out and have to help somebody who can't swim, you have to make sure they don't get a hold of you. They get a hold of your head, you're in trouble. So you have to get a hold of them and kind of sometimes you kind of have to manhandle them to kind of get them in, under control, to get them to trust you and say, stop fighting with me and stop trying to grab me. I'll get you to, to the side. It's not easy. It was for Jesus. <laughs> Come on, Peter, let's walk back to the boat. <laughs> That's my Lord. Nothing's too hard for him. God can do anything but fail because he's God. And Jesus, the Son of God, and the Son of Man, God in flesh, is the all-powerful, all-controlling God. And he says to him, why did you doubt? And another immediately. Immediately, in verse 32, it's calm. Now that's a miracle because when wind dies down, it takes a while for waves to die down. Having grown up on Lake Michigan, boy, when the winds were bad, those massive waves, we had an undertow, you weren't allowed to go to the beach. And after a storm, you couldn't go to the beach still for a long time because it would take time for the winds to die down. But immediately it's calm. And immediately the ship is on shore. And they also find out that he's in control of feeding them, of clothing them, he's protecting them. 
And, and that's what we need to understand, that God is in control of everything in our life. He's going to take care of you. He's going to have fish ready to feed you. He's God. And when we realize how awesome he is, how awesome he is, then we'll begin to worship him. And in verse 33, it says they worshiped him. They worshiped him. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. It's a great phrase. That phrase, Son of God, is used 45 times in the New Testament. It's interesting because in Matthew chapter 3, the first person to call Jesus the Son of God was God himself. He said, this is my beloved Son. And then in chapter 8 of Matthew, the same book, Next, the demons call him the son of God. And finally, finally, after a storm, finally, the disciples call him the son of God. And we, we, we find an interesting exchange in the next few chapters. He says to the disciples, who am I? And in, in the next chapter, uh, verse chapter 15 and 16 and 17, we're looking at, we're not going to look there. They said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. And others say you're Elijah, and some say you're Moses. And he said, but who do you say I am, Peter? Peter, who am I? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of a living God. And upon that profession of faith, the church is built. When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become part of the church. It's not, a, it's not built on Peter, that word Petros is a little stone. It's built on that rock Christ the church is. And that profession of faith you put in him is part of that rock. Jesus Christ, you attach to that rock. I love that. And, and Peter, he got it at that point in time, but then just a few, few moments later, a few hours, a few days later, they're on the Mount of Transfiguration. And there, there's Jesus shining. And here's Moses and Elijah. And Peter's like, awesome. Peter, James, and John, that inner circle were there. And here they are. And, and and Peter says, let's build three tabernacles, one for Moses and one for Elijah, and God interrupted him. While he was speaking, the Bible says, God said, this is my beloved son. Moses and Elijah are great, but this is my beloved son. It's all about Jesus. Jesus, 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 the sweetest name I know. He's the one who saved me. I love Moses and Elijah. Can't wait to meet them. But it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He's the greatest. He's greater than all. I love Hebrews 3. He's greater than Moses, the lawgiver. I love Hebrews or Matthew 12. He's greater than Elijah. He's greater than the prophets. Matthew 12 goes on to say he's greater than Solomon the priest. He, or excuse me, he's greater than, uh, he's greater than um, the priest Mel Mel Melchizedek and Aaron in Hebrews 7. And he's greater than the King Solomon in Matthew 12. He's greater than any prophet, any priest, any king because he is prophet, priest, and king. He's the priest, the prophet, the king, the savior of the world, the son of God, the son of man. The only way of salvation. I am. It's okay, guys. I'm here. In all those great I am's in John's account. He is the water of life. Certainly he can control the sea. He's the son of God. The all-knowing God. It's amazing when we pray because in our prayer life we, we realize sometimes he answers immediately. We saw that word straightway. Immediately. Boom, they're on the shore. Their prayer is answered. Immediately they're safe. Immediately the wind's calm. 
And at other times, we pray and we pray and we pray and we don't see an answer. We think, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? And we don't understand that. Why isn't he answering my prayer? I've been praying this. I can't answer that for you. I don't know that. But I know he knows exactly what he's doing. Did you know that? He knows more than you and more than me and more than all of us combined. He's all-knowing. Sometimes he answers our prayer before we even ask. That's always been amazing to me. How when I'm driving on the road and I run out of gas, he has a guy getting sick a few miles down the road long before I've arrived there out of gas. He knew I'd run out of gas and had that guy with a can of gas help me. Isn't that something? That's our God. So why do you doubt him and question him when you have a life full of problems? Because you take your eyes off him, you look at your circumstances, you feel sorry for yourself, you get depressed and you get mad at God, and you try to take things in your own hand. I don't know which avenue you take, but you take one of them. And that's not trusting in God. That's trying to solve your own problems. And while I can't tell you why, I can tell you the solution to your problems is always Jesus Christ. And you say, but pastor, all my life I've struggled with a certain problem. You know what? Keep your eyes on Jesus. That eternal perspective that I always talk about and will always talk about. We get bogged down in this life and forget that we're eternal beings. And God's glory is going to be manifested throughout eternity. And part of that glory is the little things that have happened in your life that you had to say, take control, Lord. I can't do anything else. I can't help this person. I can't solve this problem. But Jesus is the great physician. He is my righteousness. He supplies all my needs and he gives me my shalom, my peace. He's everything in my life and without him I'm nothing. And when we get that, we can function in life and understand this is my trial. But his grace is always sufficient. He always takes care of your need and he always will. Because he's the master of the sea. And today, if you don't know Jesus, you need to trust him as your savior. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And no man can come to the Father, he said, but by me. He's the cross that connects heaven and earth. We learned in our Passover last Sunday night about that door and how significant that was with the blood, blood that was smote on the head post and side post and how that pointed to Jesus. And that door is just like Jesus. The metaphor he uses, he says, I am the door. You can't get to God without going through the door. And the door is Jesus Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I don't know hearts that are here, but if there's anyone here who's not saved, they'll come forward today and we'll take the Bible and show them how to be saved. Jesus, we, we want them to understand, and you do as well. You are the one who can help them understand that they're lost in their sin. And you're the only way that Jesus Christ is the way. Lord, if there's other here, others here having storms in their life that have taken their eyes off you, just have them come and pray and Lord, our altar is open for whatever uh, needs there are today. We just pray for you to speak to hearts, not just now, but 
to cause us to think about the word of God throughout the week and to realize you're the master of the sea. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.